please take out your Bibles and turn with me uh, to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 13 again this morning and uh, looking forward to talking and sharing with you today about eternal life. This eternal life that is ours and what it means. Last week we looked at verse 13 and talked about, looked at what John says about how we can know for certain uh, that we have eternal life, what that means for us. And this morning we're going to focus in on the last part of that verse uh, and, and talk about what it means to possess it, to own it, and, and how that life changes what we do, how it impacts how we go through this world, how it impacts the, the, the realities. And we've, we've spent uh, a lot of time the last few weeks uh, going through these verses, and John is kind of challenging us and, and encouraging us to know that when I center in on who Jesus Christ is, and, and I really get that idea to be the, the foundation of my life, the decisions I make, the, the things that I do. When I center in on that process, I, I can have a full and complete understanding of what it means to be possessed by Christ and for Christ to uh, possess all of my being, how that impacts my eternity, how that impacts both my forever and my today. And so as we look at that this morning, I want to challenge you to let the Word of God speak to your heart. We're going to uh, look at this one verse and, and focus on eternal life that is ours. If you have your Bibles open there, uh, if you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to begin reading in verse 9 again for context. If we accept the testimony of men, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that He has given about His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You may be seated and may God bless his word this morning as we study it together. Would you please join me as we pray. Father, I ask you this morning just to speak to hearts. Uh, God, to collect my thoughts and, and honor the time that, that study has gone in this week. But more importantly, God, I pray that you would tailor the message in the next few moments uh, to each of us. Lord, give us ears to hear, uh, eyes to see, and a heart and a spirit to understand and respond uh, to what your truth teaches us about life here and life in eternity. Uh, God, I, I pray for changed lives today. I pray for changed hearts today. Uh, Lord, I echo what, what my, my brother Matt prayed, that, that Lord, today, your truth would restore and do, uh, God, what only you can do. And we pray that this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, as we look at that verse this morning, we're going to kind of focus in, as I said, on the, the back half of this verse. And what John writes, we, we talked last week about the certainty of knowing that we can know that we possess life. And, and one of the greatest uh, weapons, I think, that Satan uses against the church, against the body of Christ today, against individual believers, is doubt. If I doubt what's taking place in my life, if I doubt my salvation, then the reality is I'm probably not going to do a lot to share with other people about Christ. And so we talked about that, looked at that. And this morning, uh, I want us to focus in on what John says about this thing called life. And verse 13, John writes and says, These things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you 
have eternal life. Now John starts out there, he's concluding the letter, he's coming back and nailing down some themes that have been central all the way through, and he kind of reasserts that central theme that I can have, I can know for certain that I have eternal life. And literally what he says, that word there for have is a word that means it is uh, discernible, it is certain, it is knowable, it is, is intentionally and, and totally within my grasp that I can know right here, right where I am. John was writing to people who struggled with life, and he says right there, right where you are, all the life you're going through, you can know that you have eternal life. And all through this book, as we've studied it, he's laid out the test um, that, that are evidences that we have eternal life. There were basically four tests that he put out there, five tests that he put out there. The first was that I want to do what's right. When a child of God is reborn in Christ, they want to do right things. The second thing is, not only do I want to do right things, but number two, I don't want to do the wrong things. I, I don't want to be engaged in sin. I, I don't want to, uh, I may struggle with it, but I don't want to be a part of it. Number three, that I love the body of Christ, that I want to be a part. How do I know that I'm born again? Do I want to be a part of the body of Christ? Number four, that I love the people of the body of Christ. You see, you can like being a part of church and hate the people that are in it. And John says, that's evidence that the Spirit of God is not living within you. Not only do I love church, but I love the individuals who are part of the church. And then the last thing is that I don't use the ways of the world uh, to, to govern my life, that I live life according to the principle of the Word of God. Those five tests that John lays out there are evidences that you have a relationship. And it, it's not based upon a feeling. Nowhere in Scripture does the Word of God say if you feel saved. Uh, feelings or emotions. That, that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says you can know that you have in your possession that you hold this thing called eternal life, that it is yours beginning now and throughout eternity. And, and, and that's what John wanted people to grasp, that if you believe the facts about who Jesus Christ is, that he is the one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated son of God, who came to this earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, was crucified for your sin and my sin on the cross, that he died and was buried and rose again the third day and is even now at the right hand of the Father awaiting his second coming. If you believe that and know that, and as John says, are willing to abandon yourself to that truth, giving up everything else, and saying, I believe that, that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God, you're saved. And you can know that in your heart, and that knowledge should begin to change who you are. Uh, I, I don't care when you came to Christ, you, you know, I, I don't care if you heard thunder. Uh, I don't care if you, you heard the angels sing. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't say those things. The Bible says, do you trust what I've said in my word, God speaking, what he has said in his word, do you trust the word of God is true for your life? And, and, and when I settle that issue, that what he says is enough, then I'm saved. And I begin at that moment to possess eternal life. That's God's promise to those who are his. Now, the Bible says that for every, or the Bible, um, uh, Connie uh, King, a writer for the LA Times back in 2003, wrote an article about beliefs about eternity. And one of the things that they discovered that did this research is for every one person who believes that they're going to hell, another 120 Americans believe that they're going to heaven. 
okay? They're convinced that, that heaven is their eternal destination. Regardless of what's going on in their life, regardless of what they believe, they believe that they're going to heaven. Now, the reason that they believe that is because Disney. Disney has really jacked with us, okay? Disney made a movie a few years ago, several years ago. Uh, I'm going to date myself now because it was a movie when my kids were little. All dogs go to heaven. I'm going to hear tell you all dogs don't go to heaven, okay? Um, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Narrow is the path. Narrow is the way that leads to heaven and few there are that find it. Broad is the path and wide is the way that leads to destruction and many there are that enter in through that. All dogs don't go to heaven. Everybody's not going to heaven, okay? In fact, the Bible tells us that one of these days, people are gonna stand before God and they're gonna say, hey man, Jesus, I, I did this, man. I, I worked and I taught and I sang and I served and man, I was in church. I had perfect attendance in, in church. Man, I was in Sunday school and I, I gave and the word of God says Jesus is gonna look at them and say to them, depart from me because I never knew you. Ruth Metzger, Ruth Ann Metzger, uh, professional singer and, and vocal coach and teachers, developed a lot of programs to help people regain memory after stroke or, or struggle with diseases through singing. It's a, a, a doctorate in, in music, uh, led in church worship, done a lot of things throughout her life. But she tells the story one time of her being invited as a professional singer to sing at a very rich, wealthy person's wedding. And, and as she sang at this wedding, several songs in the wedding, and afterwards she and her husband were invited, had been invited to go to this grand banquet and reception at the top of uh, the Columbia Towers in Seattle, the largest skyscraper in the Northwest. And so she's excited about this banquet. It's going to be a banquet to end all banquets, the top two floors reserved for this rich man's wedding. They go to the, the, the Columbia Towers Park, get on the elevator, right up to the floor where they're supposed to get off. Get off, they approach the maitre d'. He's got a guest list, and he said, can I have your invitation please and she said well I, I don't have my invitation with me but but uh you know I, I was invited I'm supposed to be here he begins to look down the list and he doesn't find her name and he says can you spell her name she spells her name very carefully and he again looks and says I'm sorry ma'am your name is not on the list and and she says I sang at the wedding surely my I mean I'm, I'm a part of the wedding party I was I was there surely my name's on the list and ma'am I'm sorry your name's on the list but I was invited and ma'am I'm sorry you did not RSVP, your name is not on the list. And so she and her husband were escorted in front of all the other guests through the banquet hall to the service elevator, put on the service elevator, down to the basement, to their car, and they were escorted out of the building. Ruth Ann tells a story as she relates that experience that she was embarrassed and she was crushed and she starts to cry and her husband looks at her and he says, sweetheart, what happened? And, and she says, well, the, the invitation came in with the RSVP and there were a lot of things going on with the music and everything else and I was busy and I just didn't take the time to respond, but I was the wedding singer. Surely I didn't have to RSVP that I was, I mean, I was, I was important. I was a part of the ceremony and I didn't respond. She says in that moment, she got a small glimpse of what the word of God says about those who are going to say, Lord, I was, I was a part of it. I, I was there. I, I did. And sadly, they're going to hear the master say, depart from me. I never knew you. The word of God tells us we can know that we can have in our possession this truth, this thing called eternal life, that, that I can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, not based upon a feeling, but based upon the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And I put my faith in him and in the word of God alone, and that life is something that is attainable for me right now. Satan would have you believe that missing it 
is not that big a deal. See, Satan has convinced us that heaven is not all that there is and that hell is not all that bad after all. I can't tell you how many times I've had people tell me as I've tried to share with them, good old boys, well, I may be in hell, but I'll be there with my friends. No, you won't. Because the word of God tells us that hell is a place where you are alone. The rich man died and was in torment alone in hell and Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. He was in torment and agony. Hell is the most hellish place you and I could ever imagine. And to me, one of the most hellish things about hell is that as he was in hell, he could see into heaven what he had missed. Hell is real. And so is eternity with Jesus Christ. And God wants you and I to understand this life that we have in him, that I can have it and I can own it. And the world will try to tell you, and I apologize to you today because probably in the 16 years that I've been here as your pastor, I have probably thought or at least used the phrase at some point in time that some of us are going through hell on earth. No, we are not. I don't care what you're going through or what I'm going through. We are not going through hell on earth. You see, Satan wants us to believe that our struggles and our, our, our difficulties and our hurts and our burdens are hell on earth because it's not that bad. And if I can survive it here, I can survive it there. And if it's not real here, it's not real there. I'm telling you, we haven't experienced hell on earth. But we better begin to believe and know that it's real and that God wants to change people's hearts no matter what we're going through. It is but a taste of how bad it's going to be. But the promise is, as good as we think it is here, it's just a taste of how excellent and perfect and good it is in heaven. You can have eternal life. It is your possession. But not only that, the second thing that John writes here, he says, not only can you have eternal life, but you can have eternal life. Look at what he says, verse 13, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That word there for life is, it means a life that is to be lived, a life that is breathing, a life that is exercised, a life that is real, a life that can be touched, a life that is more than just this uh, surreal existence. I mean, it is a life, it's real. It can be tasted. I mean, that best orange that you have here isn't, a, isn't a close to the best orange that you're going to taste in heaven. It is a life that can be touched, but because it's a life that can be touched, it is also a life that touches now, and that means that sometimes that we go through struggles here. It means sometimes this life that we live here is real, and it hurts, and there are things that damage, and there are things that cause us to struggle. There are things that cause us to, to wonder. Those are things that are real, but the Word of God says when I go through those real things that they are evidences of the hope that I have and you have and we can have in who Jesus Christ is. Life is life that is to be lived. Life is life that is to be enjoyed. Life is life that sometimes is to be endured. That's his promise. 
And there is a philosophy today that, that is out there. The, the prosperity gospel preachers and the word of faith preachers will preach and tell you that if you're going through life now and you're struggling or you're hurting or you're wondering or you're not getting a healing or you're not, not getting delivered and, and you're struggling with sin and you're hurting and, and man, it just like everywhere you turn, the enemy is hitting you and knocking you down. They'll tell you that your life in him isn't real because if you have enough faith or you have enough power or you have enough of this or that that you'll escape all this world. Really? That if I have enough faith, I won't go through struggles? If I have enough faith, I won't hurt here? I won't, I won't be in pain? I mean, that's, that's what they want to try to tell us and they, they want to preach a gospel that is really no gospel Hear me, they want to sensationalize the extremes. Don't let that happen to your life. The apostles, all of them were martyred for their faith. Even poor Mattathias, man, he got elected, chosen by Lot to replace Judas. He didn't even get started. And he was stoned in Jerusalem and beheaded. Read sometime the book of Hebrews. I want to share with you just a short passage. Hebrews 11. Do I have to go there? I just want to, I want to read this for you. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kings, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. You see, we hear that, and the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel. Say, man, that's it. That's what the child of God gets. If you'll have faith and you'll walk with me, you'll conquer armies, you'll shut the mouths of lions, you'll be healed, you'll be delivered. That's what they want to tell you. But they don't read the whole story. Verse 36, the verse 35, women received their dead raised for life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release so that they might gain a better understanding or a better resurrection. Verse 36, and others experienced mockings, scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword and wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute and inflicted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. You know what? Sometimes we're part of others. We are. And we may pray and have just as much faith as those people that, that the Bible holds up as heroes. But the word of God says for those of us who go through some difficult times here and struggle and live life the best way we know how in faith in who Jesus Christ is, that we are approved of God as well. And that's the promise that God gives us in Christ. So when you're struggling when you're struggling with sin, now, hear me, some of us need to quit making the same lap around the same sin. Okay, if you're struggling with the same thing you were struggling with five years ago, grow up. Get mature in your faith. Quit being a babe in Christ. Okay, God came to deliver you from that, and here's the truth. When you're going through that, you're not going through that alone. The Word says the Son of God is standing with you. 
But, but the Bible says, Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary about these verses says, and, and, and writes in his commentary, I want to read it to you so I don't misquote it. I go so far as to assert that the New Testament itself teaches us quite plainly and clearly that the fact that there is a real struggle in our lives between sin and spirit is proof in and of itself of life. If you're struggling with sin, that's evidence that the Son of God is birthed within you. How do I say that? Well, because lost people don't care. Lost people don't care if they sin. They don't know it. They don't struggle with it. Oh, maybe at some moral level there's a conscience, but, but they don't struggle with sin. They don't want to do what's right. They don't even care. They can go to sleep at night no matter how they're living. Paul writes in Galatians and uh, chapter 5, verse 17, and he says, For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. The very evidences of the fact that I struggle in this life is evidence of the fact that the Son of God is birthing his life in me. So don't quit. Pastor, man, I'm not like you. I don't have that kind of faith. I'm, I'm not like those people that are listed. Man, oh, I just got a weak faith. Isaiah 42.3, he will not snuff out a smoldering wick. Any life is better than no life. Hey, who's more alive? A baby that's just been born or a senior adult that's 99 years of age and has lived a full life in Christ? Which one's more alive? Which is more alive, a teenager who gets up in the morning after doing stuff all day and doesn't feel any pain or a 51-year-old man who feels every joint and, and, and muscle in his body? I'm officiating baseball now, too. See, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. I feel like I owe it to all those officials <laughs> to put myself in the same position that they were in when I helped them officiate. I draw the line at baseball. Okay, basketball, sorry. It's a confined gym. I'll kick you out, okay? But baseball, I can be out there, and I'm a fit. And, and Thursday night or Friday night, I had nine innings up here in an Eastland scrimmage. And yesterday, I had about 12 innings at a Breckenridge scrimmage. And I tell you, when I got out of bed this morning, I felt every pitch. Who's more alive? These little guys up here, young guys up here that can get up and run around and don't feel anything, or me? Hey, life is life. And any life in Christ is life. It's eternal. It's what the word of God tells us that we have in him. And not only that, the third thing is, is that it is eternal. Look at what he says. These things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What's it mean? It means it has a beginning with no end. That there, those who were reading this letter originally, John wrote this to a church. When John wrote this, he was probably either already exiled to the island of Patmos or was on his way where he was when he wrote the book of Revelation. It's a church that he has pastored. It's a church of people that he knew. And it was a church of people who were struggling. There were some of those people who were living destitute and in goat skins and camel skins and hiding out in caves. Life was tough. Struggles came. Life was hard. And John writes to him. And he's writing to those people there. And he, and he says, look, I want you to understand much more than just a quality. There's a guy that wrote a book your best life now 
That's a lie. That's a lie. If you have that book in your, on your bookshelf in your home, burn it and throw it away. It's a lie. If this is your best life, Paul says, if, if it is for this life alone that we have hope, we are above all to be most pitied. This isn't our best life. I don't care how good it gets. There's more for those who are in Christ. And, and, and that's what we need to grab hold of and to understand. Much more than just the quality of life now, there is a life that, is, that never ends. And more importantly, it is a life, once it is given, that will never be taken away. Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, uh, verses um, 27 through 30, and, and this is what he writes, and he says there, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. They have eternal life, and they will never perish ever. My Father who has given me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Do you get it? Once you get it, it's never taken away. It is your possession that you have. It is your eternity. It is your truth. You can't lose it no matter what you're going through, no matter what temptation seizes you, no matter when all the world seems to oppose you, you don't stand alone because the giver of life Jesus Christ himself, the creator of all things, stands with you. Beside you and before you and with you to go through whatever this world throws at you. Pastor, I, I just don't know that we can really have that certainty. Yeah, you can Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and he said, what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and what has never come to the heart of man is, is what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, Paul writes in verse 10, God has revealed to us through his spirit that searches and teaches even the deep truths of God. Heaven is not something we can't understand. Heaven is not something we can't know. Heaven is not just for people who have PhDs or, or, or doctorate of ministries. You say, well, Pastor, you've got all that. You, you know the Greek and the Hebrew and you've studied you know, systematic theology and spiritual formations. You've spent time doing all those stuff. Let me tell you something. I am nobody in Jesus Christ. None of those things matter because it is the spirit of the living God living within me that takes the word of God and opens my heart and God will do the same thing for you if you'll submit yourself to the spirit of the living God. He'll teach you the deep truths of scripture. That's not what I say. You don't need me you need the word of God and get in the word of God and know the word of God and the truth of God and start living the life of God. My dearest friend in the ministry who knows these truths now, John Randalls used to say, you're either breathing life or breathing death. 
it's time we start being life breathers. It's time we start sharing with people who Jesus Christ is. It's time we start living life and, and living a life that we know that we have. There's some of you here this morning, honest truth is you don't know that you have it. Never been a time in your life that you've abandoned yourself to the truth that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And right now, you need to know that. You need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And, and, and believe that he is the one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated son of the living God. That he came to this earth and lived a perfect, sinless life. That he was crucified on the cross for your sin and my sin and for the sin of the whole world. That he was buried. That he died and was buried and that he rose again the third day and even now is at the right hand of the Father awaiting his second coming. There's some of you right now who need to call upon that name, the name of Jesus, and be saved. There's some of us, it's time to grow up. Colossians 3.1 says, set your mind on things above where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Grow up. Quit being immature in your faith. Get off the milk and get on the word. Grow up. Get serious about the things of life. Start living eternal life in a way that makes a difference. Some of us are treating this life so fragile. Oh, I've got it, but if I, if I live it, if I'm bold with it, it's gonna break. Wrong. Paul, Romans 8, 27, through the end of the chapter. I, I believe in all these things. We are more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, convinced, that neither angels nor demons or powers, neither uh, things to come or, or things that are present, neither height nor depth, nothing in all of the created order will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, start living that. Start being a testimony. Living eternal life in a way that, that people are changed because here's the deal. The life that he's begun in us is the life he will complete in us. His word, not my word. And that means that one of these days, what he told Moses in the Old Testament isn't going to be true anymore. Moses, the most humble man in the Old Testament. Moses, the guy that God said, let me wipe everybody else and start over with you because you're a man that follows me. Moses, who said, God, can I see your face? And he said, no. For no one can see my face and live. But let me tell you something. One of these days, the word of God says that we're going to be changed. Either through death or Christ's second coming, we're going to be changed. And that which he began in us is going to be completed that we will see Christ in his glory. Glorified magnified, exalted. We will see God and live. That's his promise. For all who will call upon his name.